Yes, yes, yes. You're listening to Word Spoken Podcast, the poetry podcast, which brings you the best. I'm your host, Henry. Thank you very much for tuning in. This is episode 15, and we've got Tyrone Lewis coming on to the show. So if you don't know who Tyrone Lewis is, then where have you been? This guy won the Camden Roundhouse Poetry Slam when he was 18 years old. He's been in the game for 14 years. So when he speaks and he performs, he comes from a place of real knowledge. Um, so yeah, really, really glad that we got an episode of Words Spoken down with him. Um, yeah, we just had a really lovely conversation and he's just a generally lovely guy as well. So um, he is also involved in a lot of production. He's actually made two spoken word doc documentaries which are available up on YouTube. There's one called New Shit and and another one called Scores Please. Um, so yeah, go and check them out on YouTube if you haven't already, because um, they're really, really great. Because Tyrone is essentially a video editor by trade. Um, and he does his poetry on the side, which is really impressive given how well he's done um, in the time that he's been doing it. So um, he also runs two nights. There's one night called Boomerang Club and another night called Canada Water Open Mic. So uh, make sure you go and check out those nights if you can and go and support him. Um, he's, yeah, as I said, his energy is infectious. So those nights are definitely ones to look out for when you're on the scene. He's also got a book out called Blackish, um, which is an incredible piece of work. And it's available in Waterstones. It's available absolutely all over the, all over the country. Um, but uh, if you want to get it, make sure you get a copy con from either his website or from Burning Eye, which is the publisher. So, yeah, um, it, it's a really great book if you're into poetry. And so, yeah, if you listen to this podcast and you like it, definitely go and give that book a quick purchase. So the three poems we get to hear from the lovely Tyrone Lewis are Sherlock, Mum Poem and Blackish. Um, all three of these poems, you'll see that his delivery is just killer. He has a lot of energy when he performs um, and his, his, his character really comes through in his work. So, yeah, you guys are really going to enjoy the poems we're about to hear. Um, and, yeah, if you want to give him a follow on Instagram, which you definitely do, head to Tyrone Lewis 22 that's T-Y-R-O-N-E-L-E-W-I-S and then the number 22. Well worth a listen. Hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you for tuning in. Word Spoken Podcast on Instagram. The first poem we get to hear from him is called Sherlock. I want to see a film where Samuel L. Jackson plays Sherlock Holmes. Ice Cube can be his hype man, Dr. Watson and Morgan Freeman can play Mycroft. This film will be called either Sherlock Homie or Holmes Boy. There will be a scene where Sherlock leaves 221B Baker Street to get a 453 towards Elephant and Castle. He'll spend that whole bus ride talking to a 10-year-old black kid because that's the only person who understands him. There will be a scene where young Sherlock, played by John Boyega, first buys a deer stalker so that people stop touching his hair. There will be a rap battle with a cameo appearance by Stormzy and a scene where Ice Cube's Dr. Watson gets pissed off at Scotland Yard and yells, fuck the police. There will also be a scene where Samuel L. Jackson Sherlock screams, elementary motherfucker, do you understand it? And there will be no guns in this film. 
This film does not need to further the idea that that is the only way for us to hold power. We do not need another visual representation of how black people carry death in their hands. There'll be no dead relatives to motivate characters in this film. There are enough dead black people already. We don't need to invent new ones. There'll be no pimps or hoes or whores or hookers central to this film's plot. There'll be no use of niggers in this film. There'll be no use of the word nigger in this film. This film is not about reclaiming that word. This film cannot be black. I am tired of black films. I don't want anybody to watch this film just because black people are in it. They will watch this film because it's going to be fucking awesome at Halloween when people dress up as this version of Sherlock Holmes and they will dress up as this version of Sherlock Holmes. They won't be the black Sherlock Holmes, they'll just be Sherlock Holmes and there will be none of us suffering showcased in this film. We are more than that. We are more than 12 years a slave and the help. We are more than the film directed by Spike Lee, more than the film starring Kevin Hart or Will Smith. One black actor does not a diverse film make Hollywood. We are more than you give us credit for. I want to make this whole film for that little black kid we saw on the bus. I want to cut back to him at the end, see him telling his friends that he's certain that Sherlock survived the Peckham rifle with Moriarty, who's played by Denzel, and they'll laugh at him. Defeated, he'll look out of his fo- Defeated, he'll look at the window of the top deck of his 453 and see Sherlock Holmes staring right at him from the window of the buster side. We'll linger on this boy's face and people won't think twice in the colour of his skin. The look of wonder on his face will be too distracting as his mouth is pulled into a smile by awe. So I want this to be the film that I wish I grew up with. Tyrone, thank you so much for performing that first piece for us um, on Word Spoken. That was a really great piece. And yeah, thank you for coming down to the studio slash bedroom. Uh, how are you doing? Are you well? I am. I'm good. And I'm in. I'm in a good place. I'm in a good place at the moment. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That is great to hear. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for performing that first piece. I've seen you perform that piece. And I cannot remember where. I think were, uh, it might be at Jordance. Was it? Jordance? Yes, it did Jordance end of last year. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it was a really great performance. And um, yeah, so thank you so much for sharing it uh, with us on the show. Um, so before I ask you a little bit about that piece, one of the other questions I wanted to ask you was, <clears throat> sorry, is I heard that uh, you essentially came to the scene or came through the, through the scene via workshops and not open mic nights. Yes. So my first question is, how, how do you think that fact has helped shape your career thus far? Um, I think one of the main moments it shaped my, so it shaped my career in a couple of ways. Some by the workshop versus open mic thing some simply by timing like the the timing one is uh, i wouldn't say the most important one but has been a factor as much as i've been doing poetry for 14 years now mm. and it was almost kind of that level of because i got into poetry back then it meant that i knew the people like jacob samlerose raymond antrobus inua Ellums, etc before they became the bigger names that they are now so it's a level of oh, lots of people that were doing it when i started doing it are now and i going to be bigger things but also i've got a connection with them which has helped me definitely helped open a couple of doors obviously still have to get through them myself but Hmm. it's presented chances so that's been a big factor so that's not even just a workshop versus open mic thing that's just the timing who i met at the right time and the scene was nowhere near as big then there weren't as many nights competing with each other or whatever so that was a big factor on it um in terms of the actual open mic versus workshop thing i think that was more just 
because I didn't. So my story of getting into poetry was I got into it by accident. Oh, yeah. um, my mum had signed me up for a course at the Roundhouse. It was meant to be a video editing course, but they'd oversubscribed it. <laughs> and it meant that when I got there on the day, they were like, there's too many people for this one course. Can you do something else? did the poetry course instead and been doing that ever since so i didn't even wow. aim to be doing poetry what a turn of fate that, uh, that was meant to be <laughs> it's been such a good turn of fate and this led me to so many things but like doing workshops i think the main thing with workshops was more the idea of working with people and properly working with people like i love the open mic and poetry performing community i love that those spaces and they are there's such a great community in different nights and the whole thing like you can go to any, almost any night in london and you'll recognize someone there yeah, yeah and that's yeah. great and wonderful but there's still a little bit of a difference between recognizing someone and performing on the same bill as them versus writing together and working together and that's what i got from the workshops it also some to some level not that it open i know obviously there's poetry slams like open mics aren't inherently competitive but there is also a little bit of a level of like, I want to do good here because if mm. the right person's in the audience, that can get me further. Whereas workshops, there's not much, there if any, of that of because it is, yeah, because yeah, it is much more of a collaborative working space. I think that's been the main difference yeah. in terms of getting me where I am, hopefully. So you said that you've been doing this for four, 14 years. Yeah. So how would you say that the scene, if it has, has evolved in that time? What has changed? Um, like, it's the simple fact that like, there's more nights, there's more people doing it. That's just one of the most basic things in terms of scene changing, not to mention on the wider thing, just in general, social media has changed. So there's more chances to get out on social media. There's more connectivity in that way. So whilst when I started, I was very London-based and London-focused, whilst obviously I'm still London-based, with things like Edinburgh Fringe and going to that more, with what Apples and Snakes have been able to kind of facilitate and other things like that, it's meant I've been able to go to Manchester, Liverpool, Glasgow, um, Edinburgh, etc., and get out of London to see what's happening there and see what people are doing. But also with that as well, I think one of the ways it's been evolving is that there's definitely been that kind of thing where we seem to be comfortable with, cool, we know what open mics are, we know what slams are, we've done that, now what else can we do? So I think there's definitely a lot more people trying some new things. Some of it is, obviously, you look at things like Vault Festival and Edinburgh Fringe Festival, mm. etc., where you've got people doing full-on hour-long spoken word shows. Some of them are sticking strictly to spoken word, but you've also got the Harry Bakers, etc., of the world are doing a comedy show, which has got lots of spoken word in it. But you've then also got the Maria Fergusons of the world that are doing a spoken word show with lots of theatre in it. And you've got in the works who are a wonderful collection uh, collective in glasgow who are doing spoken word theater which is pure spoken word but doing it in a theater space but keeping it spoken word and you've got everything in between in that sense right yeah so like lots of people are basically doing some crossovers between yeah. different art forms um to kind of blend stuff and make it elevated maybe slightly more is that, is that yeah that kind of thing like the fact that we're trying, we're trying to see cool we've got these bases down of like the, the foundation of open mics and features now mm. what else can we do what more can we do with that can we play around with that so dan simpson wonderful human being um he runs a lot of different nights largely with um, paula varjak mm. but they've got a whole series of nights that, that they run annually the anti-slam they also won worst dates ever which are both storytelling slash spoken word nights each one like using poetry in different themes as broadens it out a little bit yeah you've then also got other other storytelling nights and other mixes of nights doing different things and more things so it's just 
yeah, people are basically questioning what next for poetry and trying out new things. Not all of it lands, not all of it's incredible and perfect, yeah. but still the attempt is there to do more things. I'm going to sound really young when I ask this next question. How it. did people connect at a poetry night 14 years ago? Um, <laughs> I'm just wondering. I don't think much has changed in that way. Like, then you weren't handing over an Instagram handle, right? Yeah. No, yeah, you weren't, weren't handing over an Instagram yeah. handle. Like Facebook was obviously still around then. It's yeah, just yeah, like yeah. You'd, you'd add people on Facebook, you'd keep up in that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like it's, it's that whole thing. Like, so like, Again, in no way am I saying I am an actual real life friend with her, but like I have got Kate Tempest in my friends list hey, kind of thing, etc. That kind of thing. And like yeah. I've got people in my Facebook friends list that I've had them there for 14 years. We have never interacted, oh, yeah, same, but same. we added each other 14 years I ago. Guess, because yeah, of course. We, and, yeah, and, yeah, so everyone did still use Facebook back then. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's more that kind of thing. And But then it'll also be the, oh, like, so I've, I realized with Dan Simpson, I've known him for like near 11 years. And that's because the first time I met him was at one of the Roundhouse Slams mm. when, because I was filming it for the sake of the, f- the fun of filming it, I I had, and don't have it anymore sadly, like a, a full-on 11-year-old video of him performing in that. And it's like, oh cool, I remember you from that. And like, we, we, we'd almost met each other for the first time multiple times before realising, oh no, I had met you 10 years ago. Yeah. Cool, I did know you for a while. I thing. met him at the So Far Sounds and mm. he's actually going to come on the show. So I'm really yes. excited about that episode as oh, well. Dan, um, is a, Dan is a good man who wears very, very good shirts. He, he does have a good taste in shirts. He? Um, so let's bring this back to the first poem that you just performed for us. Yes. You uh, performed the wonderful piece, Sherlock. Um, so tell me a little bit about why you wrote this piece. <laughs> Um, I want to I want to give you some wonderfully poetic, artistic <laughs> answer. The, I am... I am very aware there was a Facebook status almost to prove this form when I was in uni, which would have been now nine years ago. I can do maths. Yeah. Nine years ago. Um, basically I can, t- I, I roughly know time-wise this is yeah, nine years ago when the U S were doing a new Sherlock TV show. The BBC had just done the, um, new updated modern Sherlock with Benedict Cumberbatch. Mm-hmm. And then the U S was starting to do their new one with Lucy Liu playing Dr. Watson. And it's the whole, it's such an interesting take one, the modern BBC thing versus the U S one was like, cool, you're doing the same, same thing. Bit weird doing that. But I love the cool. We're doing, taking Dr. Watson and making Dr. Watson an, Asian woman that's incredible but also can we take this further can we make Sherlock a black man can we make Sherlock Samuel L. Jackson and the whole basis of the poem and why I first wrote that in the first place was simply for the line elementary motherfucker do you understand it <laughs> that was the only reason that was that's what started the poem <laughs> that was and, the starting yeah, point that was the starting point and then it's like no I can do something with this <laughs> I mean I am a film fan and whatnot so like I like thinking about films and talking about films. There's a lot about that poem, which is film references, but mm. also making a point. And I think it was definitely solidified. And as it mentions in the poem, in the book, etc. it is after Dana Smith's Dinosaurs in the Hood, which is basically Dana's, as the title kind of suggests, doing almost Jurassic Park, but black with, with black people as focus of it. Yeah. And at a level like, that's a fun concept. Let's do a different film with that. So let's do Sherlock Holmes, but with black people in that. And that's basically where that came from. So it was, I had the dumb Sherlock Holmes idea, then seeing Daynez's poem, I was like, two for one, I can now make these together and actually make a serious point with this yeah. dumb idea. No, I mean, I like that. I think that's a great idea and it's led to a really, really great piece. Um, so yeah, well, you also mentioned there your love for films and of, of so there's a lot of reference to films in the piece. I think you're very well known on the scene for the guy that knows about films, right? Um, so I heard as well that uh, you're the best person to ask 
the question, what is the best film? <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, I couldn't know because I, I, I heard you have a list on your phone. So is that true? I don't. I, I've, <laughs> so there was a stage which I ended last year just because social media and websites made it easier. Yeah. But up until about midway through last year, I had an Excel spreadsheet of all the films I'd seen. There we go. Yeah. Which is and it was full on five hundred plus films on there properly organized with year it came out director name of the film um my ranking of the film and i could organize it and like arrange etc was wonderful but i eventually caved in and got the letterboxd account for myself it's like just easy just doing it online that keeps track of the films a lot easier than my excel spreadsheet Mm -hmm. could but yeah that like because it all that all the start just in a i like keeping track of things and making lists of things and that kind of thing is like almost cataloging to some degree so it's basically just cataloging all the films i've seen which started off with just oh let's just do it for this year mm. and then it went to next year and whatever and it ended up being like oh, let's see how far back i can go with this and let's see how many films i can add to this and just keep kept adding films if i remember the film to add it to it so yeah so what is your uh let's say in the in the 2009 and 19 in the most recent you know kind of the most recent whole whole year yeah what was your kind of favorite film that kind of came out that you really really loved Oh, I've I, I I probably did a top ten and everything, so I should yeah. remember. I, I can't remember what my top ten was. And that took me the whole <laughs> the pressure of being in the moment. Like I know Avengers was up there because I am the comic book geek fan, and it hit me like that. Um, I know technically it's a 2019 film that I watched it in 2020, but um, Jojo Rabbit would have been oh, yeah. ha- very high up in my list. There is definitely a film that I'm thinking of that I cannot remember what it was that it was like, to the point that I probably was like going to be one of my films of the decade now, which is going to annoy me now. But like, yeah, no, like Avengers and Jojo Rabbit are going to be the two that that's come to my mind for now. Little mm. Women was great last year. Like, there were lots of good films last year that's worked for me. And yeah, I think Endgame. I think just because of the comic book inside of me is going to be like, nah, I'm going to quite like that a lot. It's going to be the one that's going to still. Yeah be there for me yeah (laughs) oh okay cool great so uh my next question is uh when you moved from the workshops to the open mic scene where was the first place you performed and what poem did you do um so in terms of an actual open mic or poetry slam because again i will not i know they're not the same thing but i'll still consider the same in the same vein of family etc yeah yeah um i didn't start doing open mics until i got back from uni so I spent a good five, six years doing workshops and working with that very closely with Jacob Samuel Rose mm-hmm. and did a lot of things with him. We started doing a little collective um, called Burning Burn After Reading, which was partly um, Roundhouse Poet alumni, partly Barbican Young Poet alumni, partly people that have worked with Jacob Samuel Rose in the past. And we had that and we had our own monthly night from that. But then from there, the first night I think I went to, that I could at least that I remember going to was Hammer and Tongue when Hammer and Tongue was back in Camden. Because mm-hmm. they used to have a Camden one as well as the Hackney one. So I remember going to that. I did my poem called I Am Groot there. I don't think I won the slam. But I did well in the slam. I met Jake Wild Hall there. I then went to Boomerang, I'm going to say, like the week after. And then um, from there, I went to forget what you heard about spoken word. And then spoken word London. And those, I think, were my first four open mics last slams that I went to in London. So um, I have a lot of questions that I want to ask mm, you. Go but, for it. Um, I, uh, before we do that, I want you to tell me a little bit about the second piece that you're going to perform for us. So your second piece is called Mum Poem. Mm. I can guess what it is about. <laughs> um, but yeah, tell us a little bit about when you wrote this and maybe where you've p- 
performed it and stuff. Um, the three poems I've given for you today, I'm also actually very aware of where all of them actually came from, weirdly. Like, oh, cool. a lot of my poems, like, I don't remember exactly the genesis of some of them, but, like, Mum Poem, I was 25, it was the summer, and it, I was in the Ranha Slam. Um, the way the Ranhouse Slam works is heat than a final, and its age limit age limit is like sixteen to twenty five. So me doing it when I was twenty five, this is my last year to do it. Also, my thing was also in my being a little bit vain because I like being a little bit vain. <laughs> I won the Ranhouse Slam when I was eighteen, so I've already won it. So there's so there was a level of like. I want to be the first person to win it twice. And I was like, I have a very short window to do that kind of thing. So let's kind of go all in for it. So that was what... Um, you won it at 18? Yes. That's crazy. Admit it. I, I will always caveat that with the Ranha Slam has gotten a lot bigger now than it was then. Like, uh, it's yeah. still a big deal. I'm not going to... I don't want to try and full on diminish myself, mm. but I am very aware. Like when I won it, yes about 40 people apply for the Roundhouse Slams that still had people to get through. But nowadays, you're getting 200 people applying for the Roundhouse Slam. So it was still a big deal then, yeah, yeah, yeah. bigger deal now. And it's kind of that level of like, the bigger deal you people make it nowadays makes my win seem more impressive, even though it wasn't. <laughs> but still, obviously, still a good win. Yeah, that's but amazing. Yeah. Well, I guess the main thing to point out there is your age, you were 18. <laughs> because um, I had this chat uh, last week with Jamal, <laughs> is... Um, the the majority of people that I've met, and I stand to be corrected here, get into poetry and spoken word almost when they've left school, like as an adult. Um, so to, to to get to that level at, at 18 is very, very rare, whether it was big, and, big or not. Yeah, like it was the luck of finding workshops when I did, which made things a lot easier. More accessible. Mm. I was experimenting with stuff from a younger from age. A young age. Which, and I think like... A lot of people that get into poetry when they're like 18 or older, a lot of it is like they've been writing beforehand. There's been some level of storytelling beforehand, mm. just not officially as poetry. True. I was lucky enough that I knew it as poetry first. But to go back to the whole mum poem yeah. side of things, um, the, what they say in the roundhouse for the heats and how they do the slam finals is that they ask you to do a different poem. In, so you do two poems in the heat and then two poems in the final, they ask you to try and do different poems in the final. Mm-hmm. That being said, it's not a rule they enforce, and people often just don't listen to that because the heat is one week, and depending on which heat you're in, you might only have a week to the final, or you might have a fortnight to the final. Mm-hmm. I had a fortnight to the final, and my idea was like, fuck it, I'm going to write new poems. I'm going to try and write brand new poems, because why the hell not? So my mum poem was like, I want to try and write a new poem. And it was, I think it's the only time I've almost written for a slam, in as much as I never intentionally write a poem for a slam. Like, I write a poem for the sake of writing the poem, but this one I obviously knew where I'm going to perform it first, so it's meant, like, I know it's going to be performed in a slam, but I don't want it to be just for a slam. I still want it to be a poem that I care about anyway. Right. So I think, what are the things that I care about, that I want to write about, that I feel passionately about? And the kind of realisation that I have written a lot of poems about me and my dad and our relationship. And my mum has been there and supported me for all my poetry nights and all my things. And keeps hearing all these dad poems <laughs> and doesn't get a poem about her. So mum poem was doing that for her to the point where she did not know I had written that poem. She was there in the audience when I performed it. 
Oh, and really? the pa- again, I couldn't see her because it was the roundhouse main stage of the roundhouse. <laughs> good 300 people in the audience. I start I, the first round. I did a poem about Star Wars and about Dad again because I made Star Wars about a Dad poem because I do that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so mum's mum hadn't heard that poem. I was like, cool, time with something new. Probably gonna do something something else. I know now. Next, no, I did another new poem after that. It caught her very much off guard. Um, I have heard from people sitting next to her just tears of emotions, and yeah, that's how that poem came to be. <laughs> well, look, lovely. Um, I think we should listen to it. So yeah, um, thank you very much for performing this piece. This is Tyrone's second poem. He's going to perform for us on Word Spoken, and it's called Mum Poem. This one's about me and my mum. She taught me sarcasm before she taught me how to walk. Made sure I knew I was a Tottenham fan before I knew my time's table and she showed me Star Wars before she showed me how to dress and my mother has a TARDIS heart. It may not look like much on the outside but best believe it's bigger on the inside. I have lost myself down its hallways for all the space and time. I still keep finding new doors to explore and I'm sorry... Falcor, but my mum's love is more never-ending than your story. It's more unbreakable than your movie, M. Night, and it's serving more realness than any look I've seen on the main stage of RuPaul's Drag Race. You could easily be fooled into thinking her heart has never been broken. I know it skipped a couple of beats in high school, but I think all those crushes did was soften it. I know it's got a lot of love for Idris and Denzel and a bit of Will and all of Adrian Lester, but I don't know if my father was the first she let into it. Maybe he helped her fix it. Held it in place up until the divorce, but after that I expect there must have been a couple of cracks, though I've never seen any fragments of it strewn across our living room floor. No stray shards have fallen into any of our dinners if there were any pieces missing. She's kept them well hidden. Just between all of us, I think my mum's a magician. She had me believing she was 27 till I was 11, kept appearing and reappearing at all of my football matches, all my poetry nights, scratch that. My mum's a superhero, strong enough to carry me and all of my fuck-ups on one hand, whilst breaking down every obstacle in front of her with the other. She doesn't need any spandex, but Kevin Feige is currently working on producing her Marvel standalone film, scratch that. My mother is a wrestler and just surpassed Oscar and Goldberg for the longest undefeated streak in WWE history because I have seen her hurt, but I've never seen her beaten. Scratch that. My mum would beat your mum. Scratch that. My mum would beat your dad. Scratch that. My mum's a scratch that. My mum scratched that. My, 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 my record scratch. And my mother has a TARDIS heart. It may not look like much on the outside, but best believe it's bigger than the love that she receives. And I am trying to make up for it. That I'm too busy being shit. I keep spending my nights swimming in Stella to avoid going home. I keep messing up my life knowing that she will always be there to clean it up. I keep trying to buy smiles, ignoring the ones that she gives me for free. And I am agreeing with Elton John and Blue. Because there's a word that I need to say to her, but it seems so hard right now. So instead, here's this poem. This one's for me and my mum. Hi, Ren. Thank you so much for performing that piece. I can, um, I can literally imagine your mum in the crowd right now, just, <laughs> just bawling her eyes out. The poor thing, not, not knowing that you were going to do that. Um, so yeah, thank you for uh, 
performing that there's you know that poem is going to resonate with so so many people so um i really really love that line my mother has a tardis heart that's just that's, that's just <laughs> lovely so yeah thank you um, right. so the um next thing i want to talk to you about is your production yeah. so you are a video editor by trade yes but you've also been involved uh being involved with you've also made yourself a couple of uh, spoken word docs yes so can you tell us a little bit about them um yes yeah, so i've made two I, I call it two documentaries one was a about a 45 minute documentary called new shit which was focusing on the open mic scene in london um that was done about five six years ago now um, featured me interviewing a fair few poets in the london scene going to quite a few nights getting recorded recordings of what was happening at the nights and kind of putting that together and then the second one i did was a kind of eight part series called scores please which was focusing on poetry slams uh, i was lucky enough because i that was timed during edinburgh fringe i was able to get a fair few voices from across the uk contributing to that all talking about different aspects of poetry slams their thoughts on it their likes dislikes and just what they are in general and put that up there on youtube for people to see i think that's amazing and i actually so i had a quick look at uh the, your one called new new shit um and i i just i just really really liked it and it kind of got me thinking why do you think there isn't more of this type of content so why i kind of started this mm. podcast is yeah. to kind of you know add to the scene in some way to mm. to allow people to enjoy this art form outside of the of the open mic setting yeah. it's why i started the youtube channel to kind of build up a consistent i know that's not the first time oh, yeah. anyone's ever yeah. done it but you know i wanted to add to it um but why do you think in terms of production in terms of getting spoken words you know beyond the open mic and beyond the workshop why do you think we're kind of behind other art forms I think a lot of that's about where we want poetry to be in as much as we're both behind the other art forms and not. And that's more in terms of how are you viewing poetry? Because obviously poetry as an art form is quite everywhere. It mm. is in books, it is being taught in school, etc. So poetry as an art form is in a lot of places it then goes down into what kind of poetry you're looking for when you get into spoken word that's not in as many places and that's where i think some of the things where we're not only left behind that's where we still working but with that same token as well whilst yes the art of the spoken word is a universal thing the art of spoken word poetry still feels fairly new and like with that whilst obviously spoken word is not just exclusively to slams we are all aware of that slams have helped popular popularize it and glamorize it mm. and slams themselves have only been running since the 1980s so we've only been so spoken word in that sense only been running for that long so that's part of it as well and like then it's just a whole what do people want from it where can it go and there's a whole question because i think even with spoken word poets we're not sure where we want it to go where it can go and then without going too political you've also got the fact that we're in a government and state at the moment where and I, again i will happily go political as much the whole yeah fuck the tories vote labor blah 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 nevertheless not the point of what i'm saying right now but the whole idea of <laughs> just, like just a side note yeah, like, it's, it's like just to make it clear, fuck the Tories. Still, <laughs> continue. Yeah, but still, like um, the fact that we're in a we're in a place where the arts in general are not being valued and funded. You look at theatre makers and how much they're trying to battle with, and the fact that you got the privileged side of it, where the rich theatre makers are getting a lot done, but the poorer ones aren't. So it's not 
I think a lot of it isn't necessarily specifically about spoken word, right? Rather than just the timing of it. But then also you do have the whole thing of I don't know where spoken word goes, like the successful spoken word things, and this is almost one of the things we're going back to what, how spoken was evolving is that the most successful spoken word things or people that I know of are the ones that do spoken word with other things. And yeah, and right. that side of things in the same way that like just being a good musician is not enough seemingly for even music. So like just being a good spoken word poet is seemingly not enough. And like, how do you market it? So do you go comedy? Do you go theater? Do you go long form? What are you doing with it to make it more than just spoken word poetry? And I think there's that side of it, I think. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, I think you do have to kind of think outside the box a lit, uh, like a small bit if you're wanting to kind of grow as a as a as a performer beyond the open mic setting. So yeah, no, I think you're hun- you're handsman right with that. Um, the other question I've got is the nights that you run. So you run two, am I right? Yes, I won two nights. Okay, so we've got <laughs> Boomerang Club and Canada Water Open Mic. Yes. So tell us a little bit about those nights, what they rep, what they represent, and what makes them unique. Um, they are two very, very, very different open mic nights. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, Boomerang Club is arguably your more traditional open mic, in as much as we've been running it for five years now. We are now mo- we've now moved to Dalston in set in Dalston, and it's run by five of us, five incredible people. And that's weird because I include myself in incredible people. There, that's a bit vain. Oh well, I said it anyway. <laughs> Four but- incredible people. <laughs> One all yeah, right one. Four incredible people and me. No, <laughs> so I was tempted to do a bad joke there. No. Uh, one by four, one, one, one by, it's run by a team of five of us. I love them to death. It's run by Jake Wild Hall, Joel Waterson, Antonio Jade King, and mm. Peter DeGraff Johnson, aka the Repeat Beat Poet, mm. and myself. And like that is very much traditional open mic in, in that we'll get a handful of open micers and get a couple of features and get them to perform and it's the whole we like poetry and we like people to do their own poetry and like that level like it's open to whatever you want to do we don't want to try and pigeon us hold ourselves into any kind of specific kind of spoken word or kind of poetry and hopefully also especially with the features want to expose people to poets they might not have seen or be aware of whether it's different styles of poetry or people from different areas like well we don't have the funding for it all the time i'm going to try and get people from outside of london whenever we can and try and make that a thing and kind of like helping the scene still be a thing and not on the flip side of that but then my other night which is canada water open mic night is an interesting one in as much as it's a night that i have been hired to host rather than night that i have run myself okay. so the whole genesis and idea behind that one is the albany which is um primarily based in um deptford um they also work with canada water library and canada water theater space and in that theater space what they've been starting to do is have spoken word seasons go out through the year and their new initiative say new initiative it's been a year and a bit now (laughs) but their new initiative was before the spoken word show goes on in the theater space let's have a pre-show of an open mic yeah. they enlisted me to help and host with so that one is just open mic no features it is pre-show it's free for everyone what's lovely about it is i get a lot of different people that i wouldn't see at other nights like partly the location of it partly the library setting etc seems to bring out different people that you don't get because i as much i love the open mic scene in london it is incredible mm. i love what boomerang's been able to do i am very aware that not that anyone's asking for me to critique my own night but <laughs> one of the things that i'm very aware of is and this is with a lot of nights rather than just boomerang but i will stick with just mine because that's what i know most about yeah there was an age issue in that uh, so many open mics ours it's uh, ours is also culprit of this and that we struggled to get the older generation of people coming to it and 
not and it's, it's not that we're not open to them it's just finding them and trying to make them feel comfortable there yeah so it's a refreshing change of pace when they can get to the Canada water and you know, I would get a couple of people from the older generation that will also come and share their stuff there and not feel as intimidated by it what that, that is something I've definitely noticed is yeah you 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 get at these nights you get a you get a very wide mix of people in terms of race in terms of sexuality but you're right age is is one where you don't get what so what why do you what do you think causes that um I think the largest part of it especially for London and this is with some slight benefit of being of having gone out of London to see a few more nights etc is London has more unis than anywhere else obviously mm. just by nature of it being london we have more unis we have people coming here for uni so there's a large amount of uni students here not to mention just then just in general the whole people move to london for the arts etc and that so there's that side of it which is going to be the yeah. main contributing factor yeah it's also then another factor in that we go to the nights we know and nights our friends know so the nights we go to will be the ones by people similar to us etc whereas I know that there are older poets in the scene and they have their, I don't say their own nights, but like yeah, there are nights which I'm, I would much more expect older poets to go to and nights I might much but younger poets to go to. So I think it's also that side of it and trying to get them to merge together. And it's like, no, they're fine there. We're fine here. Yeah. And like, I'd like some more crossover and there are like, I don't, like some like John Wheeler, for example, is a wonderful poet that does a lot of stuff and that he is, he goes to all kinds of nights, not just, the ones for all the poets or anything like that kind of thing and you get a few poets like that they will come to other nights but then it's not all of them and sometimes they don't want to there's nothing wrong with that like they want to be yeah. like cool, this is my crowd i'm sticking with my crowd they know what i'm talking about they understand the referencing and the make here etc they go to that one i won't get any of the references there <laughs> i don't know what they're talking about half the time and like yeah that's like the thing i think is part of it no i, I think you're uh, right there so um the thing I want to do now is have a quick chat about your book. Um, mm. And I guess we can combine this with your third piece, which mm. is the title of, <laughs> of the book, Blackish. Um, so I want to know, so this came out in 2019, last yes. year. So I want to know when you started uh, putting this book together and what led you to doing that? Um, again, the boring, unartistic answer is what led me to putting the book together was a publisher asked me, do I want to have a book? <laughs> really? <laughs> like, um, okay. So how like, did that come about then? So um, the context behind this is also um, Burning Eye Books are an incredible publisher and incredible group of people. Like actual Burning Eye itself is only like two people. There's only like Bridget Hart and Clive. Clive. Oh, God damn it. Oh, Clive Owen. What words? <laughs> I, I forgot his name. Wow awkward awkward sorry clive um <laughs> like um burning eye books is just clive and bridget and they are two great people and like the whole genesis of burning eye books was that they wanted to publish spoken word poets right they wanted to focus on featuring spoken word poets and publish them and the way they've been operating is essentially alternating between a year of open submissions will take anyone to submit to stuff and then we'll, they'll go they'll go through it and pick the best manuscripts and then flipping flipping back to we're going to invite people and do invite only for mm. manuscripts the year after kind of thing and keep alternating between that and with that in terms of people that they're inviting they're inviting spoken word poets they've seen on the scene who have got a reputation who are doing good things who's writing they like that they want to try and help out by giving them a published book yeah. and viewing it I don't want to say in a capitalist way because I know that Bridget is punk poet to the extreme and I love her <laughs> for it and I would almost get killed by her if I kept trying to give give her any kind of capitalist 
ideas behind this kind of thing, but it is some level of giving poets merchandise so that when they go on their so when the spoken word poets are going on their tours and going to do their feature nights so they can have here's a book i can sell as well here's something i can sell as well and helps pay for you doing that kind of thing that was the whole genesis behind burning eye Mm. and because i've been doing poetry for as long as i had and we'd always been on each other's radars they um clive and bridget are based in bristol Mm -hmm. so whilst they publish everyone from the uk because they're based in bristol it depends that you might not always cross over with them so it was only start of 2018 i actually think i met bridget in person which was at uni slam and it was the case like we've known known of each other for a while but they've actually been in the same room as each other ended up crossing over we um she saw me perform a fair bit there and i was at level of like i think without speaking for her i think there was a level of like i've heard about you you were on our list i need to see it for myself and now that i've seen it i can say yes cool here is the yeah. offer for the book. And I have never been one that wanted a book like my, I don't want to say unique, because that makes me feel way too special and snowflakey on that side <laughs> of it. But like, I've never, po- poetry is a hobby for me. Poetry is the hobby and the thing I do on the side. It's not, I don't want it to be my full-time career. Yeah. I am very comfortable in my career in video editing and working there. But I also love doing poetry. It's just a fun thing to do as well as my career. But with that as well, it means that I don't, necessarily go for many opportunities like i don't ask for features i'm very fortunate and lucky that people seem to like my stuff enough to ask me for features that is wonderful i'm so honored and humbled by that but i but with that luckiness i don't, I don't ask for features i don't ask for gigs i don't ask for opportunities so with the book that i it's like i always had in my mind to i'm not gonna send in my manuscript to anyone like i'm not bothered for doing that i'm not gonna even build in manuscript in the first place i don't care about a book in that sense but also by that same token, if someone asks, I'm saying yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, like I'm not going to go for it. But if you ask, I was like, that's the whole thing. Like, I don't, I don't want to go for this kind of stuff. But if you ask me for it, I will say yes. This like, oh, like I'll have a book. Yes, like perform with an orchestra. Yes, do this gig and whatever. Yes, I will do that kind of stuff. So what? So what did it feel like? Because it's out in Waterstones as well, yes. isn't it? As well, but we want people to get it from your website. Oh yeah, right? like get, yeah. Um, get it from my website or get it from Burning Eye. If you buy it via Waterstones or Jeff Bezos' company, then I get like nothing, no money from that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, but my question then is, uh, when you first saw it in Waterstones, right, mm-hmm. and it's on the shelf. Mm-hmm. with your kind of name on <laughs> what was that feeling oh, i don't even know how to describe it like i mean part of the weirdness of that was jake wild hall saw my book before me <laughs> like um he was in waterstones in um oh westfield and he saw it in there first which is okay that's weird that because like, I hadn't even got my copies yet, and he'd seen a copy of it in water. So, oh, oh, crap, it's actually out and in places. That's an interesting one. But then it was seeing it in a few other places. And like, I think for me, it wasn't like seeing it was one thing. And like, that was a, okay, cool. This is a nice feeling. I'm loving that. It was then added to the fact, because I, I went to go see it in the foils in, oh, shaftesbury avenue tottenham Road mm-hmm. area first i then went to my local waterstones and when i went to my local waterstones not only did they have the book there they had it on the display table next to gil scott heron and i was like okay that's like in the shelf was one thing like probably on the display table fine that's that's very good one of the waterstones employees saw me and because like, that was me and mum were walking around that day like they saw us looking at the book and like 
it was very much more than just people that wanted to buy it. That was like, oh, you are people that are looking at this book for a specific reason. Talked to him, mentioned that I was the author. He let me sign a few copies. Um, cool. Probably had the whole signed by the author sticker on it. We left. We then kind of had the realization he did not check any ID or anything. And it's like, cool. I'm like, I am the author. That was fine. But he didn't even check it. Okay. So it could have been anyone. Could have been anyone. If anyone's bored on a Sunday, whatever, just go oh, in, have I, a look at a book for ages. I am, I am still resistant. <laughs> it. I'm resistant to, resistant to to go and tell PJ to go into every single water zone yeah. across the Costa country and so see like see like h- how what's level of blackness will they stop for? Turns out that's really easy. Uh, I mean, t- it's tempting, but like I think <laughs> what really brought it home for me and the thing that was the most humbling was that London was one thing. And like, cool, I was able to get in London. That's that's a fucking great achievement to yeah. get into London water zones. And like, but it was when um, my boss at work, his other half um is northern based um so she was back home visiting the family to the point that they were out in inverness and it was in a water zone in inverness that's so cool and that one was like okay no cool that's that's the that's one amazing. that's the one that did it did it kind of thing well look um amazing uh, that's yeah let me start again <laughs> Congrats on that because that is um, really amazing. You know, there's not there's not many people that have made it to that level. So massive congrats on that. So I think with that we we should hear the uh, the title piece from your book Blackish. So yeah, this is Tyrone Lewis with his poem Blackish. On the days that I'm reminded that I'm black, this city's police siren heartbeat turns into a threat. I wear fair skin tight, hoping it can mask my melanin, and every bag they clutch closer to their chests is a gut punch, and I'm struggling to breathe like he did. On the days that I'm reminded that I'm black, every hashtag hats at me. Every tweet in sympathy is a reminder that I do not share the protection of their complexion, whilst every tweet in anger is a call to action, and I'm reminded that I do not act. I have been called Oreo more times than I've been called nigger. I have been told, you don't seem that black. More times than I've been to Africa, more times than I've been to the Caribbean. I have more white relatives than black ones. And whilst we may not share blood, my mouth doesn't reject calling them uncle or auntie like it does my father's siblings. On the days that I am reminded that I am black, I am 23 sitting in a pub in Tottenham. We are celebrating two years of knowing each other's existence and that's when she says that she can't believe she's friends with two of us. I keep smiling. Keep drinking. She keeps talking and I can feel the air being dragged out of my lungs. White knuckles refusing to loosen their grip on my life. She leaves me gasping for breath and I can't even garner a response to her. She leaves me 15 and I am being pulled out of my arts mock exam with five of the boys that share my pigment. My guidance counsellor asks me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I tell her I want to go into advertising and she tells me, but you're black. Her bullet words hit me before I have time to get my hands up. She keeps firing. First round of lip service, second round of quotas. She keeps firing. They always keep firing. The days that I'm reminded that I am black, my skin's heritage is built on corpses and I am too afraid to visit their graves. Too scared to see their tombstones and do not feel like one of them. But every time I look down, I am reminded. On the days that I am reminded that I am black, I am being mistaken for another boy at a festival because we all look the same. I am being mistaken for another boy at a gig I am headlining because we all look the same. I am washing my face free of the mud, hoping that I don't look the same. On the days that I am reminded that I am black, I am hoping that people don't forget. I am hoping that I never have to be reminded again. Thank you.
Tyrone with his title piece of his book Blackish. Thank you very much for performing that for us on Word Spoken, mate. That was a really lovely piece. Thank you. Thank you. Very much. Um, thank you very much. So yeah, um, my kind of question then to you, uh, I guess to kind of round things off slightly here, is um, you've obviously got your book out now, so I imagine that's, that's you know had a lot of opportunities come from that. So what is your uh, kind of plan for the year ahead? Uh, my plan for the year ahead is honestly to not do much like um <laughs> i love that like, no one's like, ever said that when no, i asked like, that question <laughs> uh, i'm just gonna yeah. chill pretty really. much like, honestly like so um <laughs> 2018 was the year that i got the book deal so i was finished off writing the manuscript i also lucked out weirdly and ended up having an actual full-blown tour did like I think it ended up being like 25, maybe 30 different dates across the UK that year. Wow. Then 2019 was the book itself coming out and then touring that. So a couple of gigs at the start of the year, then the book came out and a couple of gigs after that. And now this year's level, like, cool. The book tour is pretty much finished. I've got like one or two dates, like um, end of February, I've got a gig at the Bunker Theatre with the Upsetters, which is just going to be a night of poetry, headlined by Zia Ahmed. Mm-hmm. I've got a gig with Harry Baker in May for his monthly night that he does there. So I've got a couple of gigs lined up for this year, but I think part of this year's thing is like, I've done a lot of touring. That's been great and wonderful and the book stuff has been going great and wonderful and not that i'm gonna say like no to anything that comes in kind of thing but more partly i need to take a break and just like have give myself a bit of time to rest but also partly i need to write again like yeah. sherlock holmes is like my sherlock poems like five six years old now like i need to write new stuff now and like i love that i've been able to go to the new places where people haven't heard my poetry before and it, like i was at lemonton spa last week and like i was talking to some people afterwards and like you could tell that like one of the guys there especially it sounded like you needed to hear my poetry and like that was just like a great thing and like i'm bored of these poems but you you aren't and that's wonderful to see like i love still doing them but at the same time it's like kind of can do other stuff now i can perform other things so how how do you find that balance then between performing ones which you obviously know really really well and you know will go down well and finding the time to actually clear your head from the stage and write some more stuff like do you find that quite a hard thing to balance um i find it easier i'd say than most and just not trying to assume too much for other people but like I think especially because I'm not looking to do it as a career. Yeah. It means that I can write whenever I want to write. Like I'm never having to force it out for anything. I don't have to make myself write anything. So it will just be, oh, I have a good idea now. I'm going to write it. So it will be, oh, Sherlock, I've had the dumb joke. I've now heard Dana's poem. I've now got an idea of how that can work together, etc. It'll be, oh, I've got something I want to write about. So I will write that. And that's how I find the balance and that I don't have to look for time and just have, oh, that's a good idea. Let's try and write that down. Like I've got notes on my phone, like, oh, this could be a fun idea. I might build that in the future. And mm. it will be, I write the note down if I'm still thinking about it in a week or whatever. Okay, cool. There's something here. I might spend some time to write it, but like there's no pressure to write anything. So there's that side of it. In terms of doing the ones I've done before, it's a mix of who is the audience as much as how much have they heard of me before and trying to not do the same poems over and over again that much. But also on the flip side of it, and this is one that I need to talk to people about, and it's a whole, it's the ongoing poetry perception as well, which is a um, very quick random tangent plug thing, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yeah, um, 
Katie Ailes is an incredible human being. She is currently studying in Edinburgh, finishing off her PhD, and her PhD is on spoken word. Oh, yeah. And like a full-on doctorate-level PhD on spoken word, analysing it, and she's done a fuck-ton... I think, the, yeah, legitimately a fuck-ton of interviews <laughs> for it. A fuck-ton of transcribing it By for it. By definition. Like, 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 literally, the def- dictionary, dictionary definition of a fuck-ton of stuff. No, she's she's like, done it. One of the things that came up in that, and I've just think about a lot in general, is that whole idea of there is a stigma in poetry of repeating the same poem to an audience, which doesn't come about in other art forms. Hmm. Music, you can do the same song over and over again and it's fine. Poetry, they want something new from you. That's true. I've never thought of that before. (laughs) But you're right. I always have that in my head. It's like, no, if, if you like that poem would you still like it again like in theory you should like it again like you have books you reread books you reread poetry books why is it as much of a thing with performing it you know what i've just come up with a theory on it <laughs> mm. and that is the uh often and this isn't always the case yeah but when you hear a poem for the first time maybe by a poet you haven't met before or seen mm. and it's and you absolutely love it it is oh, yeah. so great, right? Yeah. And then oft, and then maybe when, as you hear it more, more times, you already know what's coming, right? But with a song, you can hear it for the first time and not really get it. Oh, yeah. And then it grows on you. So maybe that's it. Like, I mean, I, like, that's just a guess. There was always some element of that. And like the first time you experience something is going to be a thing, like, especially because of how revealing poetry is. That, that Almost that reveal is exactly, such a thing. Exactly, yeah. There's that kind of but, mystery and yeah. then you say it. Oh, yeah. But by that same token as well, there's a level like, but the poetry is not meant to be for one night sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's an interesting, again, it's one that, like, I have no answer for it. Like, it's just one of the things I always am aware of. It's like, I can do the poem again. It's a good poem. It's still a good poem. Like, <laughs> Blackish is still a good poem. I can still do that poem again. Yeah. And it will still be, hopefully, as good as it was the first time, kind of thing, because it still yeah. stands up on its own. But it's, I always have that kind of thought in my head. It's like, oh, yeah, because I, I feel weird doing it again. It's in the same place, but also... Why do I have to? No, well, I'm mm. really glad you did because I really, really love it. And um, yeah, so I think we need to wrap up, mate. So um, yeah, remind people where they can uh, follow you and also uh, buy a copy of your book. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram as Tyrone Lewis 22. I think I'm Tyrone Lewis 22 on both of them. Yeah, that's how I am. <laughs> but like, again, I'm Tyrone Lewis. I'm Tyrone Lewis and all the things. I am Tyrone Lewis Spoken Word on Facebook. All of them have links to where you can buy Blackish, which is via Tyrone Lewis Spoken Word Big Cartel, I believe. Um, also via that, you can also just go via Burning Eyes website and buy it via that. So those would be the two places to buy it. Or if you see me, I often have copies in a card reader on me, so you can buy it for me directly. <laughs> Lovely. Well, look, well, thank you so much for coming down to Word Spoken. I'm honestly so glad that we've been able to get an episode down. Um, ever since that first night that I met you at Jordan's, I was like, okay, right, I really <laughs> want this guy. So uh, I'm so glad that you um, said yes and came down. So thank you. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, we've we seem we seem to have covered a lot here, really, and, yeah. and I and I think it's really great to speak to someone that has been doing it for so long and has so much to say about the subject. So um, yeah, so thank you for making this episode uh, so insightful from that <laughs> point of view. Um, and yeah, thank you very much for coming down, and uh, we will see everyone one next week thank you Tyrone. nice thank you for having me cheers